All right, so I managed to use some, you know, Zen yoga meditation. I was able to blank my mind and, you know, pretend I was in a happy place, and I got through Spock's brain. Spock's brain is not a terrible episode. I have to say, this was told to me as, you know, Spock's brain is the worst episode of the original series. And I have to say, I think the people who believe that are just not fun at parties because they're just like, have a sense of humor. I completely agree. I think that Spock's Spock's brain is, it is not a good episode of Star Trek. It's (laughs) stupid. It is not a good episode of television, but there is something about it that is just fun. Yeah, it's 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 not as bad as like a plan 9 type of thing, but it was close. Like there were a lot of my notes are mostly stuff that I'm going to make fun of from this episode. Like, no, it's, it's it has a lot to make fun of and it's funny. It's definitely one of those episodes. Yeah. And it's it's I think it it's one of those episodes that really tests your loyalty to Star Trek. Are you actually a Star Trek fan? Because for for the reputation that Spock's brain has, undeserved in my opinion, because there are yeah. much worse episodes of the original series. Spock's brain would not even make my top ten. It's watchable. It's watchable. The alternative factor, which I think we agree that that's our worst episode. Yeah, like and that. That's unwatchable. I have no idea what the plot of that one was, what was going on, and it was just bad. That episode was bad on so many levels. It was bad on a production level. It was bad on a writing level. It was bad on an editing level. It was bad on a directing level. It was bad on an acting level. Like, it was just bad. Like, that episode should just, they, they should just, like, taken a mulligan and said, you know what? We're only going to deliver you 27 episodes this season or whatever because this is just, you don't want to air this. Yeah, like, I know we're breaking a contract, but trust us. Like, just, we'll, we'll, we'll show you a private screening, but you don't want this. It's kind of like when you call in sick to work and your boss says, you need to be here. And you say, you really don't want me there today. Yeah. Like, just don't even try. Yeah, I'm, I, I can't. I have to fight this one. This is <laughs> happening. It's, you know, and it's funny because it, it was written by Gene L. Coon. Uh, who wrote many episodes for the third season, but wrote them under a pseudonym, oh. Lee Cronin. He wrote he wrote them under something, certainly. And that is interesting. I have never really read an explanation for why that happened. I don't know if he was not supposed to be writing because he was out of the Writers Guild. I don't know if he was embarrassed. I don't know if it was a money thing. Yeah. Um, the show lost more money this season like it had less of a budget than the second season and the second season had less of a budget than the first season well i mean that makes sense especially considering after this season they canceled it so of course it would i mean it makes sense for it to have had its lowest budget at this point yeah i'm not sure that this season has any location shooting i i could be wrong i since we're starting out with the third season i will say that um the third season is one that I am not completely familiar with. I've only ever seen about half of it. And I've probably seen, quote unquote, some of the worst episodes. Okay. So, and there are some good ones in here, I will say. Like, there's an episode coming up, I believe, in two weeks that is really good. There's another episode which introduces an alien species that we have never seen before that is quite good. There are also incredibly terrible episodes. So, you have a ride ahead of you. But okay. I think in general, Spock's brain is a great introduction to the third season, and it's dumb. It makes no sense. It's padded. <laughs> it's like sort of slow at some points, but there's a charm to it, and there's like a, okay, this is what we're doing this season. 
we're just going to do the best we can with this material kind of atmosphere to it, which I enjoy. I mean, I was told that this was an episode where beautiful alien women steal Spock's brain and use it to power their computer. This was kind of exactly what I... But I have to say, I was slightly worried for a while that they would keep Spock in the bed the entire time. And then they gave me just a wonderful gift of the heavens where they made Spock a robot. And that was when I said, you know something? I, I love this episode. I just, I just have to go, wow. Like, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Like, and, this, yeah. and the sound effect that he makes when yeah, he like, it's, 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 it's a stupid episode, but it commits to being stupid. It's Spock as a wind-up toy. Yeah. And I love the fact that He's in the episode because they talk to him on the communicator when he's in the computer. Yeah. So it's like he's still there. And there's these little things about the episode that you know were not in the script, right? Like every time that Kirk talks to the Spock disembodied brain on the communicator, he looks at Spock. And they play like a mysterious little chord. like a And that's like a little acting choice or a directing yeah. choice. And it works really well because you can kind of tell that Kirk is a little squicked out by this yeah. entire thing. Like, like I, I almost got the sense that he's like, is he psychically talking to me? Like, or, you know, I'm talking to somebody who's physically in the room. Like, you know, you, you look at the person just as a thing. Like, yeah. And I also, I also like the fact that the show all the actors just commit to it and they just sort of work with it i mean mccoy is like he's up to 11 in this episode spock at the very end when he's just rattling on about (laughs) whatever and and kirk you know mccoy says i should not have reattached your vocal cords yeah like like, come on i made a mistake i connected the mouth (laughs) i'm sorry that is some quality mccoy mccoy spock bickering i have to say i was i was all right with the show and then the last the ending of it was I laughed at that, and it left me at such a it, – it, it ended on such a good note, like an everybody laughs ending, that I'm like, you know something? I had a good time. Yeah. I love how the right Gene Alcune apparently know, doesn't know a single thing about how the brain works. Like, number one, he's like, well, he has no brain, but his autonomic functions are still working. It's like, do you know, like, how autonomic functions, like – work it's not like you're not breathing because of your lungs you're breathing because your brain is sending like he knows that there are brains you know centers of the brain you know and when he's like okay well i'm gonna connect the vocal cords it's like yeah it doesn't work like that either like no but the but the funny thing is though about that is that we still don't really have a good grasp on how the brain works and they had even much less of a you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Understanding of how the brain worked in 1968, but so, they did realize that they did know that there were certain spots of the brain which did handle autonomic functions and which did handle you know certain activities. While they couldn't have mapped them to the degree that we have, yeah, you know, they knew the basic principles of that. You know, I would say this is less of a. Obviously, I don't know where brain, you know, neuro. Uh, neuroscience neurobiology yeah was in 1968 but I, it was a little further than this well yeah. they had moved they had moved along from the you know lobotomy period and we're sort of getting we are past phrenology yeah yeah but i think and the, you know the other i mean to go into that too i mean i like the fact that spock apparently can identify which parts of his brain are doing things <laughs> i mean it's like yeah and of course spock could do that why 
uh, that makes absolutely a lot of sense. Like Spock just knows that his medulla oblongata is doing <laughs> something at this exact moment because that is what he does. He's Spock. I mean, I love how he's totally interested in what's happening. You know, rat, once he, they say, okay, you know, you're, you're hooked up to a computer and you're running the con- complex. Fascinating. Okay, that makes sense. Like, he's like, all right, I get it, you know? Sure. Well, that's really interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he gets excited at the end. There's, and I like this episode too because it kind of just is a perfect encapsulation of, I think, what Star Trek one of the two things that Star Trek is good at because Star Trek, you know, if we're talking about the devil in the dark, if we're talking about the city on the edge of forever, if we're talking about these sort of classic, classic episodes of Star Trek that say a lot about the human condition that talk about, you know, diversity and respecting all life forms and, and, and optimism of the future and, and, you know, all these sort of things that that is definitely something that the original series does. Yeah. And then there's the, other thing that the original series does which is campy ass sci-fi shit that you know plan nine on outer space would have been proud of yeah and i think spock's brain is one of the best examples of that yeah it was a a stupid episode that was funny and i think this really speaks to you have to accept both sides of the show to really appreciate it because You can't be a fan of one or the other. You have to be a fan of both. And that's the nice thing about the show is that, you know, if you're a fan of one or the other, you're not going to be able to sit through episodes like this. But if you can appreciate both, I mean, if you can appreciate an episode like um, uh, uh, I Mud, for yeah. example, which is which another is one of my favorites, I comedy think. episode, it's certainly a much better constructed and written episode than and this acted, is. Yeah. I mean, this is much more on the let's, you know, let's make hay out of whatever that phrase is. Well, to be but, fair, Spock's brain, I'm sorry, I Mud has an extremely... Uh, distinct and well and, and very well drawn you know villain in that yeah you know, mud is a you know the both the actor and the character are very larger than life the woman here is just kind of i mean she's stupid and then she's smart and evil th- this episode is sort of like i don't know pretty morlocks or something i mean there yeah. really is nothing there um but i think you really do need to be able to appreciate both to power through this and there are certainly episodes of star trek that are that are you know almost unwatchable the alternative factor is one of them um, but you really just have to be able to appreciate all of it. And if you do, then I think you're really going to like Spock's, Spock's brain. Yeah. But we can get into what doesn't work in the episode. Uh, the, the entire caveman thing. Like, yeah, that doesn't work. I, I, I it, it was at that moment that I thought, okay, I know why people don't like this episode. Like, and those poor guys, can you just imagine, like, you're a total Star Trek fanboy, and it's like, you've moved to, you know, California, you're just trying to get an acting job, you know, and then one day, like, you, you do an audition, and you get the call, and you're going to have a small role on Star Trek. Like, it's nothing big, it's not going to pay well, but, like, your friends will see you on TV, and, you know, it's something on your resume, like, one job leads to the other, you never knew... And you're supposed to be a caveman in the episode where beautiful alien women steal Spock's brain. Like, life is just unfair to that guy. Well, I think you might be overestimating how influential Star Trek was on the acting career choices of people from Omaha. But leaving that aside. Hey, he's from Omaha. What does he know? I think that, you know, if you have to look at this episode from the point of view of someone who was really, really a Star Trek fan, liked the show a lot, was really afraid and upset that it was going to be canceled after its second season... 
there's the the you know classic thing with uh, Bajo Trimble who started the letter writing campaign yeah. to NBC to, to to bring the show back and it was successful and NBC renewed it and cut the budget and put it at Friday at ten o'clock or whenever the hell it was on. And this is of course after waiting you know for a whole summer or however long it was to well, get a new episode as well. It was much longer than it that was. because um, uh, uh, the, the last episode of the second season. Um, Assignment Earth was on in March, and this came on in, I think, September. So you're talking about a long stretch of time to wait for your favorite TV show to come back on the air, and then you get Spock's brain. It's like if we turn on Breaking Bad, and it turns out that Jesse and Walt have moved to, like, New York City, and they're, like, living in an apartment in the Lower East, and there's all these, like, musicians in their building, and, you know... That's what would happen. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty terrible well, in that respect. But better to come back to Spock's brain than Assignment Earth. But that is true. <laughs> Spock's brain is a better episode than Assignment Earth. Um, we have to talk about the total lack of plot in this episode because there really isn't any, and it has probably about I would say a good ten minutes of plot that's stretched out over fifty minutes. There is a lot of padding in this episode. Mm. Um, we get these long sections of the episode, which are basically people discussing what to do. Kirk asks each person what they should do. <laughs> um, the classic example of this is early on when they're trying to, de- trying to decide what three planets to go to. And Kirk says, I think we should go to this planet. What do you think, Chekhov? Well, what do you think, Sulu? And then Kirk is like, actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should go to this planet. <laughs> and it's like whoa, 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 like this episode was like 35 minutes long or something and you just needed to stretch the hell out of this. Yeah, is it like there's like seven or eight times when they just walk into a room and then, you know, she pushes the button and then they pass out. Like that happens a lot. Like any time, like it's almost a running gag in this episode, but it's not intended to be funny. No, it's not intended to be funny. It's intended to be Like, oh my God, dangerous place. But it's like after the first, after the third time, it's like, okay, like guys. And I mean, we haven't talked about, we haven't talked about stakes in Star Trek in a while. And I, you know, this episode has none, right? Because if you, this is the, 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 the barbarians on the ice planet are sort of like the ones in uh, the Galileo seven, for example, but they were really scary. And you kind of feared for the lives of those people on the planet. And they ended up killing a couple of them in this. It's like a total joke. They shoot one with a phaser and they all run away. Yeah. There's no sense that the, any of these are, you know, any are a challenge to anything They're They, they fare about as well as a bunch of caveman would f- a star, you know, a bunch of people from a starship in the, you know, like it, it, it's, yeah, the, the fight lasts all of 30 seconds and it's the not, cavemen are so outpaced. You there's know? nothing there that really says that they're in danger at all. There's never any question that they're going to get Spock's brain back. And by the uh, I love how they're like, we have 24 hours. And I'm like, yeah, that's how the human body works. Like, it, 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 when it doesn't have the brain, like, it can go. But, like, there's a hard deadline. And, you know, like, if it's 23 hours and 50 seconds, like still okay you know he'll still be fine every single thing will work but once you hit the 24 like the entire body falls apart it's like well (laughs) you are forgetting that spock is half vulcan that's true but he's half human yeah uh you also get great scenes where you see uh check off in two red shirts sitting around a hot rock for five or ten seconds for no reason um (laughs) The very beginning of the episode is just, I mean, incompetently done where they're just kind of like, we're on a mission. We're going here. Oh, look, there's something happening. There's a woman. You know, it's like, what is this? Um, 
and I can, you know, it's not great. There are definite, definite problems with it. There's this weird plot hole where you have, uh, 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 uh what's his name? Sim McCoy is go gets this, you know, brain dump into his head, you know, where he learns how to do this surgery and he's like, Oh, a child could do it. You know, number one, you would think that he would make some notes to himself that could teach him how to do it. But number two, when he forgets halfway through, uh, it's basically said like, okay, he can't, you know, go under the brain, you know, the brain machine again because you know it's too much of a risk. You have Scotty, who by profession is an engineer and deals with very tiny, uh, you know, mechanical parts all the time, and has very dexterous fingers, and who expresses that he would like to go into this machine just to have the experience, you know, obviously to do some engineering stuff. But you would think that in a pinch. In a life-or-death situation like that, you could tell Scott, hey, look, you know, go under it. Just fix this guy. Like, if the woman could do it with the, you know, the teach- the, the implications that anybody who has this is able to do this. Oh, well, if a woman could do it, certainly a man could do it. Yeah, right, pretty much. No, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, that's- like, there, there, there were several other people coaching Spock to... There were several other people who could have done that, you know. Having Spock coach McCoy seems like the least... Uh, logical step to go yeah no it totally Why isn't I, kirk trying to do it you know? yeah i had not i had not made that connection before but that totally does make sense because of course the machine i mean the, the woman is not a trained surgeon and no. she was able to perform the surgery so yeah you could put anybody in there yeah and, i mean uh, yeah they would be able to do it so why not put scotty in there you that's know, a good Mc- point mccoy does say like i'm a surgeon already it'll be easier for me you know and certainly he is the first and best choice but he's not you know He's he's running out of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, I do have to say that there's another thing that I don't like about this episode, and that is uh, Scotty and Kirk's new hairdos. Um, not a fan of them. Scotty looks like shit in this episode. Like, he looks like he just came off a drinking binge. Maybe like, he did. During, you know, like in the first two seasons. Well, like, you know, uh, James Doohan, perhaps, you know, let's say... I don't know that this is true, but maybe he was really relieved when Star Trek was going to be canceled. And then when he got his contract renewed, he was like, ah, shit, I got to do this crap <laughs> for another season. Got the script for Spock's brain and decided to just drink heavily because, wow. Well, you know, it's funny because, like, in the for early seasons of Star Trek, he looks good. And when he was, you know, older, you know, he looked – he was, like, one of those cute old guys. Like, he, any old uh, – like, James Doohan as an old man I've seen, you know, looks fine. Like – but he looks like this is an in-between stage where he looks awful. Yeah, like, he just yeah. doesn't look healthy. Well, that's funny because I think that happened a lot in, in the '60s, though. I mean, we forget how old people looked. I I yeah. saw I saw I was reading something the other day, and it, it had a picture of Truman Capote, and I was like, "Wow, Truman Capote really looked bad." And then I looked up how old he was in the picture, and he was 35. And I was like, "My God!" But so, have you seen young Truman Capote, by the way? Well, thirty-five is kind of young, but like I'm talking about, like there, there's like a, a one a very famous picture of him at like age twenty, and boy, it was hot. Like he was a pretty looking guy. Yeah, but then you drink a lot and smoke a lot. Well, yeah, and yeah. Just does it. But yeah, no, Scotty doesn't look great. I don't like his new hairstyle. I don't know what the hell that was about. It's just sort of this like swept up thing going on. Um, Kirk has the sort of like sixties hair going on now, <laughs> where he's like growing it out a little bit, and he's got these like pointy sideburns. Doesn't look very good. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hora has this new hairdo going on. Uh, it's it's strange. It's strange, and it sort of feels weird. Um, yeah, the the costuming even was not as good. Yeah, like Spock's burlap suit. Maybe like, I don't well, know what that I mean, was. And I've talked a lot. I I loved the costumes in the second season, especially the uh, 
you know, the aliens, you know, we've, we've seen several where they're wearing some, wearing some really interesting outfits. Maybe with the budget cut, that's one, you know, the, maybe the makeup artist had to go. Oh, everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, everything had to go. I mean, they had to spend less money on costuming. They had to yeah. less, spend less money on, on, on shooting. They had to spend less money on, on pay, paying people to write scripts. I mean, yeah, like the, it's, it's, it's obvious just even from little things like that, that this had a lot less of a budget. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one thing that I'm always weirded out by the third season of Star Trek, and, and I, I don't know why they, they made this change. The, they changed the opening credits to be blue from yellow, and I, I've never really been able to figure out why that is. Um, I don't know if you have any theories on that, but I was just curious to bring it up because I, I don't understand it. It just seems like such a random thing to do, especially when you don't have any money. I, I'm going to be very honest and say that I didn't even notice that, like, I, I don't watch the credits every time. Like, that's usually, like, while they're going, like, I'll just check my email or something like that, you know, and I'll go back to the show because it's the credits. It's as far as I was knowing the same every time. But now that I told you, you're well, going to have to pay attention it. to them. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. It's just it's weird yeah. to me. Well, like, blue is more like space. That's where we're going to put our money? And it's not even, like, a dark blue. It's, like, this sort of, like, powder blue. I don't know. No, just, I want to see this. It's weird. It's, well, we'll watch it after we're finished. But it's, I don't know. It's just weird. It's, like, why would you spend your money on that? Like, you just pay, pay Gene Alcoon a little more to use his real name, and he'd come up with a better episode. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I do like that this episode characterizes women as, quote, givers of pain and delight. Gene Alcoon had some issues there. Like, yeah. Like, because it makes it clear, like, these women explicitly torture by feeding you fruit and then, like, giving you excruciating nerve pain. Like, right. And they kind of imply that the, 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 the altering between the two is the reason for why it's so bad. Well, this is sort of Star Trek just kind of d- devolving into, campy, into campiness. And there's never really any indication given as to what sort of civilization this was and, and, and what happened to them aside from the, the, the ice age. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there, there are some, you know, we haven't talked about Star Trek gender politics in a while and we're now well into the sixties. We're, we're getting close to the seventies now. And it's interesting because at the very end of the episode, you know, Kirk basically says, well, there are other ways for women to get what they want, which is fucking. And it's like, <laughs> You know, it's weird. Like, there's no indication on Kirk's part that the women could be the ones that could educate themselves and do things. No, they're just supposed to go live on the surface and, you know, shack up with dudes. Like, it's weird. Yeah, he's... Feminism did not happen on this planet. And, and, I mean, we're going to be honest in that, you know, the, the men are, number one, terrified of the women and... They're not going to want the women around for a little while. Like, and the women have just as many reasons to be very leery of the men. Now, I I don't know. The episode doesn't even begin to explain how they reproduce. I have no idea. Yeah. They don't even talk about it. They they do mention something to to the, the caveman that they capture, and he doesn't seem to have any indication of even what a man or a woman is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where where do they come from? I don't know. I mean, maybe they're a race of really long-lived beings maybe they're androids i mean you could write all sorts of fanfic about this why not teach them how to use the machines well i mean at the very end of the episode he says you know you'll learn to make houses and my initial thing is like yeah you're gonna have someone go through several hundred years of civilization in the approximate half of a week that way well they will be able to survive you know 
without those things because without, you know, the complex, the ice is going to take over. Like, they are they are going to die very quickly if they mm-hmm. don't have – So and he's like, well, we'll help you. And it's like, oh, one of those. Well, yeah, because the, the men only survived because the women were there to give them food. So yeah, I don't know. It's weird. There's one other thing that we can mention about this episode, and then perhaps we can triple it out. Uh, you talked about um, plot holes, and I think there is another plot hole in the episode that's quite a large one and really speaks to the fact that I don't know this for sure, but I assume that part of the lowered budget for this season, there was just there were fewer script revisions. And so it makes sense. Yeah. This episode may have been much closer to what Gene L. Kuhn originally wrote as a as a first draft than some of the other ones. There just wasn't enough time to, yeah, po- to give them just... the polish that they needed, which is a problem, I think, in, in most of the third season. Most of them could have gone through a couple more revisions that they just didn't get and they didn't have the money or the time for. And maybe that's why. Maybe it's as simple as that. Why oh, there's a pseudonym, the... you know, like maybe he just felt like this isn't what i want it to be i'm not putting this under my name yeah i think that that it probably could be could as simple been. as that yeah. yeah it would do his career more harm than good he stopped writing for star trek after the second season also it could have also uh pretended there were more people working for the show than that's true there too, were yeah. like oh we have this other writer you know who was on staff and... yeah yeah that is true too um but the plot hole I'm specifically referring to is they they have these belts on that the women put on them that that, that give them pain yeah. with the with the armband things that they have with the buttons. And my question is, if they need to have the armbands on to give them pain, what the hell did the woman do when she beamed onto the Enterprise? Because they weren't wearing belts then. But it seemed that uh, she was doing the same thing. How they weren't wearing belts then? How did they keep their pants up? You know what I mean. I know, but it's I I, 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 maybe it was magic. Like, I feel like that probably would have been caught in, like, another script revision as well. Yeah, even if they explain it's two different types of thing that she, I don't know. She pressed the yellow button and not the red button. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Then why did she even bother with the belts? Why not just keep with the yellow button? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, well the, 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 the red button makes them have pain. The yellow made them pass out. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, so I think that's all we can say about Spock's brain. Oh, good. Uh, how many triples would you give this one? Nine, because it will piss people off. Okay, great. Uh, I, 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 I don't. I, this, yeah, it's like a five. It's a five triple. This might be. Uh, this might be unscorable. I don't know. It's just such a. It's got such a reputation that it's hard to watch this episode just fresh without any sort yeah. of expectations on it. I, I don't know. I mean. I'm just gonna. Can I get it? I'm just gonna get a pass on this one. I'm not gonna give it a score. It's impossible. I think. You know, I, I enjoyed watching it. It was exactly what I hoped it would be, and yeah. it made me laugh. That's fair. All right. Well, next up, we will talk about the Enterprise incident. All right, Richard. So, what did you make of the Enterprise incident? I made a big smile on my face because this episode was fucking awesome. You like this one. And Very you, much. And you didn't like Balance of Terror. Yeah, because I think the Romulan lady was a lot hotter than the Romulan dude. I, I guess. Okay, sure. All right, I'll go with that. You know, I have to say, I, I've been re- – you know, this episode made me think at some point I would like to rewatch Balance of Terror because I know I saw it early on and that is one of those fan-favorite episodes and so – you know, obviously, I know a lot more about Star Trek. I like Star Trek more than I did 
whenever we recorded that episode. So I would like to see it to reevaluate it. I figure maybe I just wasn't in the proper place for that. I can see that. I mean, Balance of Terror is definitely, I think, one of the first like highly regarded classic episodes of Star Trek. And it also comes fairly early in the series yeah. run. And so, you know, I want to say that was maybe like episode six or seven of Trek About. It sounds around there. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe you just didn't have enough experience with the show to really appreciate it, which is totally fair. Yeah. My whole thing about the Enterprise incident is this isn't as good as the third season gets. There are actually, you know, a few episodes in the okay. third season that are that are better than this. On the whole, the third season is not great. I mean, we we just talked about Spock's brain and whoa. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's one of those it's one of those weird episodes where I feel like it has a much better episode inside of it that we don't get to see. I get what you mean. And it, it's just, it's a problem with the third season in general, which is something we can talk about maybe at the end of the third season yeah. in a few weeks, but three months, whatever it's going to be. Um, it, it's just that a lot of the episodes feel like flabbily plotted. They're sort of padding in a lot of them. You can see the, the, the germ of ideas that Star Trek really goes for. But the 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 execution isn't there a lot of times, and so that's kind of how I feel about the Enterprise incident. And that makes sense. It seems like one of those could go for another rewrite may have helped it certainly. Um, and yet, I think the episode goes into some more interesting places than. I mean, this is a DC Fontana one, so you know. I always find it fascinating when she writes women because her the women in DC Fontana scripts are always very weird. This this Romulan captain is both an extremely hardened you commander. Know, commander. I'm not sure. I don't understand the differences in ranks. Like I don't know what a lieutenant is or I'm, anything. I'm, I'm just being a pedantic Trekkie. Yeah. Um. Or or, or as I like to say, a Trekkie. Um. I'll take it. You know, she's extremely ambitious, extremely competent, extreme. But at the other, same time, she, you know, wants to be known as, you know, she she, she, she says like, oh, well, I, the scene when she and Spock are in the, you know, the room together and she says, well, she, you know, as a woman, you know, and she wears this really awesome dress at that, you know, and, you know, but she, you can tell she does also want to be seen as a sexual being, as a as female, and I think that's a really interesting dichotomy that's in most of her female characters. They are both, you know, competent at what they do, but also very physical Yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because I don't think that you get to see that side of her, obviously, until Spock, I don't want to say cons her into some sort of relationship, yeah. but... Basically, he's playing her because uh, the conceit of the episode is that uh, the Federation has found out that the Romulans have a much more powerful version of their cloaking device than they they had when we last saw them in Balance of Terror. And there's even this great line very early on in the episode where they say that the Romulans are now using ships of Klingon design, which I don't know if you caught that, but the only reason they're doing that is because they they had the Klingon (laughs) ships and they wanted to use them more. Yeah. So it was totally a budget thing so well i you see the thing is one of the things i really liked about this episode is it everything changes every few minutes of this and it's not till very close to the end that it finally reveals okay this is who's been playing who at what point and who's been lying the entire time because 
when it first starts, Kirk is acting extremely strangely, and he's going into Romulan space, and he's doing so- and the way he's acting weird. I mean, we have seen him. We have seen evil clones of, of Kirk. We have seen. Kirk with it, you know, we've seen alien spores. We've seen, you know, but we've also we've, seen him just act like this. Exactly. Like an obsession. We've so, seen, uh, there are, it, it, the thing is, there are so many different reasons Kirk could be acting the way he is. And it takes a while before he finally explains why he's doing what he's doing. Well, so I, I would say that's a central, interesting mystery of the episode. You know, what is, why is Kirk doing this? And then you have for a while, Spock isn't letting on that he knows exactly what's going on in the scene. At the beginning when he, you know, talks down Kirk and he basically says, no, you know, you've risked the entire lives of the crew. Spock is going very sincere on that. I mean, to be talked down by a Vulcan is really, you know, condescending, but it genuinely almost seems like Kirk is, you know, doing something that Spock doesn't realize. Well, sorry, we've seen one of them make a plan without telling the other. We think that might be the case here. Yeah, I, I, I want to get back to the female commander for a minute because I, I feel like okay. we kind of drop a thread of that conversation. Well, I was definitely going to be talking about her more, but... Th- this is kind of the thing about this episode is that, you know, the, so we talked about the central conceit, there, the cloaking device, and there's sort of these cloak and dagger maneuvers going on where Kirk and Spock are under orders that they, they can't tell anybody else yeah. on the Enterprise. And, uh, you know, ostensibly that's so that the, the Romulans don't catch on to what exactly they're, they're, they're trying to do, which is steal the cloaking device, yeah, which is all a, fine. It's also a plausible deniability thing when they, you know, when the commander finds out that nobody on the ship has been you know, was in on it, she basically says, like, look, you'll be processed, you'll, you know, we'll get you back to the Federation, you know. Kirk and Spock were definitely doing something, and, you know, based on when Spock says, well, what's your manner of execution at the end, very matter-of-factly, like, they've kind of only kept it to themselves. They know what's up. Yeah, they've accepted, you're right, we can be executed, this can happen, you know, this is the worst case, and... So when when they first meet the the, the female uh, commander, you're right, She she's very... She's like a man, basically. I mean, you well, know, not to put too fine a point on it, she's 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 not sexualized in any way. She's, except for her outfit, well, which, which like she has to pull down her skirt every time she stands up. I love the part when he's like, you know, well, you're dressed as a soldier, and I'm like, in a mini skirt, like that's that's a kind of a hot outfit she has. That on, was the future is. for them, yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, and I think the other thing that's interesting about her is that she's she's not shot in the standard way that a Star Trek female is shot with the with the soft lighting and the Vaseline on the lens until the mm. end of the episode. Yeah, when it's much more about her as a woman and not as a foe. Well, here's the thing, because and and one of the things I like is they almost make it. They do almost trick you and make it seem like Spock is going to turn. You know, of course, Spock will never sell out, but for a while, it seems he almost might. You know, the you know she's making these points like you know, well, you you're such a good officer, like you know, you've never had your ship of your own, and you know he counters saying, "I don't want a command," and he said that in the series before. But she also says, "Yeah, well, that's." She basically says, "That's kind of a moot point. That's an easy stance to make when Vulcans don't really get commissions. Like, it's very easy to say I don't want one because you know you'll never get one." And she is explicitly says, "Like, I know your talents. Like, if you work for us, like, we are going to get you in a position that's worthy of you." I mean, she her respect for him is based as much on the fact that she's 
into him, but it's a ge- genuine respect for him. And I think also there there's something there which was touched upon in the episode, and I think maybe, um, you know, you're forgetting a little bit, is yeah, that yeah. she does explicitly say, you know, the Romulans and the Vulcans are supposed to yeah. be related. They say that explicitly in this episode. Obviously, the two, the two alien species look very similar, mm-hmm. almost identical in some respects. And so there is some of that, too. I mean, there's that line in the episode where she says, well, you're, I, I'm also half human. And she says, well, do you consider yourself to be to be a Terran? I think she says, which is always yeah. a classic you know, <laughs> sci-fi thing, calling humans Terrans uh, or a Vulcan. And he says, well, I consider myself a Vulcan. Without and, even and thinking. Yeah, without He's, even he thinking. Just, it's a, he know, he knows the answer. And that's the moment when I think she realizes that she can try and get to him because she is a, trying to attract him into a life that's like, Oh, you know what? The Vulcans and the Romulans have a lot to learn from each other. You know, we we shouldn't be adversaries. We have a lot more in common with each other than either of yeah. us do with humans, for example. And so there's all these kind of interesting sociological things going on, which the 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 original series only touched on really, I think, in this one episode because this is yeah. one of two appearances of the Romulans in the entire. Uh, run of the next uh, of the original series now let me ask you a question so the vulcans um and, and now what was the name of the like the vulcan elder lady in the in uh ponfar to pal now she's explicitly said to have you know have been asked to join the federation and refused because you know she wants to remain independent and yet she still has very strong ties to the federation well it's not that it's not that she's not a member of the federation or a federation citizen she she declined a seat on the federation council okay, that's... vulcan is a founding member of the federation okay like sorry. they're in yeah um Which, so, obviously... but maybe, so that means that vulcan is strongly allied with the federation they're in the federation they're yeah. part of the federation so the, but my, my, the, qu- basically, my question vulcan is, is well, like montana i mean that's okay it, so my question is um but the romulans have great respect for the vulcans and we assume that that you know then that seems to go both ways um because of the common ancestry spock has said several things does that ever play into the larger you know franchise myth arc like does yeah it does the, so the Vul- i would assume that the vulcans would eventually be able to broker peace uh, well, not necessarily, but there are episodes that touch on it much more in, in yeah. the next generation. Because um, obviously, this command, you know, the commander is not the only person in the Romulan Empire who has respect for the Federation for the Vulcans. And you know, if the Vulcans are allying, have thought it logical to go with the Federation, one would think the Romulans would at least, you know, assume that to be a legitimate opinion, even if they don't go for it what what it's not it's not as clear right right now yeah just, just on and again i figured this is doing, this but, is the second romulan episode i yeah yeah and and the romulans are sort of problematic because i don't think they're ever really used all that well in star trek even okay. though they're one of the founding you know alien yeah. uh, foes of the show and of the franchise it, it's a, it's an interesting thing because it, it's kind of set up that um you know, in, in Balance of Terror, we realized that, or it was established that uh, the Federation didn't know what Romulans looked like. And yeah. it was this shocking thing that Romulans looked like Vulcans. And, and of course, it, it, we found out that, that, that the Vulcans knew this and didn't yeah. tell the Federation this. So that's an interesting sort of thing. So, so we don't really get a good sense of how widespread it's known that Romulans are an offshoot of Vulcans. Yeah. We don't know if the Romulans realize that Vulcans look like them. It's all very strange. Kind of later on in this episode, yeah. we find out that it maybe is more common knowledge than not. And that the Vulcans have gone one way and the Romulans 
the the sort of like canon thing is that the Romulans left because they they it was yeah. an offshoot of Vulcans that left because they didn't okay. want to be under the teachings of, of Serac, who was the, the founder of Vulcan logic. So that's, I mean, yeah. that's much more information than you of probably course. wanted. But I mean, either way, even if we, I mean, let's pretend that this series has continuity. Um, they find out that the Vulcans and the Romulans are, have a common ancestry in the very first season. It's not at all far fetched to think that somebody on the enterprise would have been, you know, at a bar and say, you know, yeah, and and then we we fought a Romulan ship. Did you know they looked like Vulcans? Did you know that they were, you know? And I figured once they have that first conduct, the rumor will spread. So I would assume. I'm sure. I'm sure it's common knowledge by right? now at this point in the series. And at this point, it's obvious that the Romulans are not making any pretense of not establishing visual mm-hmm. communication with, a, with yeah. a Federation ship. I mean, that's pretty much done at this point. But either way, one of the things that I like about the episode is they do kind of make it clear that. Because while Spock is definitely, you know, using her interest in him to, you know, get what he needs for his mission, it's not completely – I would say some of his – what he says is genuine. When she says like, oh, well, you know, you're half human, so I have, you know, I am able to be sensitive and not, you know, more so than a Vulcan woman could be, you know, and, you know, I can show you pleasures, but, you know – as a as as a as a Romulan, I'm able to, you know, be you know understand your logic, and I'm able to understand who you are, and we have this in common. So in a way, she does make a very kid case for you know Spock to have a Romulan girlfriend. I think Spock recognizes that. I think Spock genuinely does enjoy being the one that's flirted with in this episode. And at the very end, when he's escorting to her her to her cabin. Um, it's kind of implied that, all right, well, they'll be together for a couple weeks and, you know, maybe they will just get to know each other at least. And, you know, he's saying like, look, you know, the technology of war secrets are the, you know, quickest secrets to go away. Like, you know, we had to do this because of that, you know, so soon your people are gonna, you know, one of us is going to figure out how to break this cloaking device and then it's going to be completely useless. Then, you know, another side is going to invent another one and so on and so forth. So basically what he's saying, like, look, this this thing, this business, this mission stuff, that's not personal at this point. Like, that, you, she was ready to execute him. That was her doing her job. That was him doing his. Their job is over at this point. I think it's very, it's very complex and it's very mixed up and it's very compartmentalized. But both of them are able to do that. No, I agree with that. Both of them that. need to do that. Both of them have got into the position they're at. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, and I, I think it is interesting, in light of the fact that you know we're we're sort of dealing with with I think two different episodes here because the first half of the episode is, I think, tonally very different than the second half. The, the first half I is very much sort of this, um, you know, mystery of what exactly is going on. You know, why is Kirk acting like this? Uh, and 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 the the Romulan commander is is very much just a, a an authority figure, an enemy in charge. In the second half, it much more becomes, once we realize what is going on, it does become this sort of almost, I don't want to say love story, but it's its a little more subtle than that just because I think there is a, they're, they're, they play around with the shared ancestry there and they, they play around with the idea that, you know, perhaps the Romulans and the Federation should not be enemies and that maybe yeah. while she's on the ship, on the Enterprise you know spock and her will 
spend time together and start to build some some sort of relationship. Yeah. Maybe not a romantic one. Or at but... least not a long-term romantic one. Um, they're going to have some Ponfar together. You know that. Well, Ponfar is something else. Oh, but... God. No, no, no. We're not doing a semantics thing. I, I wanted to make a joke. Right? Spock is going to fuck the Romulan commander repeatedly. Do you want me to be that blunt? I will it's be that really, It's really interesting, actually, because... There, there were some, there were some fans that were upset with this because the they they were like, no, well, Vulcans only have sex once every seven years, and they they you know DC Fontana basically was like, no, that's like females are fertile once every seven years, but Romulans can have not Romulans, Vulcans can have sex whenever they want to. Okay, so yeah, and also I mean. I, 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 I'm sure even if Spock is not able to do anything, the Romulan commander can have things done to her. I mean, they could still have a great time together. Yeah. Um, she's feeding him Tranya from square glasses. I mean, that's happening. Um, there, there's, there's a seduction there, which I think is really uh, interesting. And I think there's, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the original series in general is how tactile it all feels yeah and it, it you know the next generation certainly i don't i don't think feels like that nearly as much everything is more immediate and everything is more like uh you can kind of smell it and it just feels really like messy and so but i i, I mean i wouldn't say messy in this case like it's super sexy that see like you, basically any dude who you know is straight would enjoy being in that room with her yeah yeah, I would enjoy being in, in that room with her. But there's there's much more of a sense of the alien foes being people, and I think in the original series than there is in, in in maybe the next generation, which I think is interesting. And I also think you know, it, it's a tough it's a tough episode to talk about just because it is sort of this tonally two different things. But I think you know at the very you know sort of these these scenes where spock and the romulan commander and i wish i could remember her name because romulan commander is long to say remander remander yeah, um i there i do like that one part when he's you know what's your first name and she whispers it to him you know so that's of course coy and i wondered i was wondering wonder if he was going to do the same because we don't know mr spock's first name but but it's well spock is his name i mean oh that, i, I that. always thought spock was a last name no no Spock is his name. Oh. They don't have first and last names. Uh, okay, so so let's talk about the the the. I don't know what you would call it. There there really is no no subplot in this episode. They're both sort of a plots where Kirk needs to steal the cloaking device, which apparently is a large dildo, <laughs> is running around the Romulan ship. <laughs> surgically altered to look like a Romulan, which he does not look good like that. Yeah. You know, I, I found all of the action bits to be silly, but in a, in a cool enough way. Like they're very perfunctory, the, but, but I have to say like the part when, uh, uh for example, when, when McCoy finally that now we, at this point, we don't even know that McCoy has just been filled in on this. We don't know that really Spock's in on this. We don't know what Kirk has been doing, you know, so he comes there and, you know, they finally filled McCoy in and, you know, Spock is pretending to be on the Romulan side and he does the Vulcan death grip. And whole, I wrote in my notes, holy shit, the Vulcan death grip. And that was, that was just cool. And, you know, the, McCoy's like, you killed him. And I'm like, what? Kirk is dead again, you know? And again, how, what are they going to do? How is he going to get out of this one? There were a lot of moments like that. During the entire time, I never thought that Kirk was really evil. I never thought that Spock was going to turn over. 
I never thought that they would be in serious danger. I never thought that they would get away without this cloaking device. But I was interested enough in how they would do all of this. And again, it, it, it's, it's a fairly, you're not clear until even towards the end who's on whose side. Even the part when, you know, when Kirk wants to beam into the sh- ship, he's waiting for Spock to give him the coordinates. And he doesn't get that, and we keep cutting to him with this woman, and, you know, he's not answering the phone. And he's you're thinking, oh, is he, maybe he actually did, maybe the seduction worked, like, maybe he is ignoring. And, you know, it's revealed to be just he didn't get a chance to be alone, but it was enough, you know, I think there were enough moments towards the end when she, you know, grabs onto Spock and is on the ship and is like, well, what's her plan going to be? You know, she tells her army to destroy the Enterprise because, you know, like all of that I thought was interesting. All of that I thought was good. That we, it was, I wasn't bored at all during this episode. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the episode, I think, in general, is that there, there's a lot going on and, you know, it's not boring. But at the same time, it is padded a little bit. I mean, you yeah. sort of have that ending part where Spock is giving the right of, of, of statement or whatever and talking for 20 minutes and that, that's which he's obvi- literally padding in the universe but and that yeah which he is but it like doesn't make yeah. any sense really because they're not going to execute spock right then so so why give him that right right then i mean that sort of seems more like a sort of like okay we're gonna we you've gone through a trial we're gonna give you your last word and then we're going to kill you yeah why does she need to stand there for that i mean so it's little things like that which i really feel of course like the episode could have done with uh, a bit more rewriting and you know we see that a lot in the third season where it's just kind of like yeah this is all right but yeah again it seems like you know all right in the first draft or two they needed a scene or something you know they needed some way of having install they wrote this and just didn't have time or an idea to get something better and they needed to have a script in and it was fine as it was again it was a i thought it was a very good episode i enjoyed it very much um I loved the Romulan commander. I, I I liked Spock's relationship with her. I liked getting to see, you know, Shatner act crazy when he's like, I'll kill you. I mean, that was great. That's some classic. That Shatner was movie. great. <laughs> yeah. uh, it begins with Kirk making fun of Chekhov's work, which is always a great sign. You know, maybe it's not the best episode, but. I found it highly enjoyable. That's fair. Um, one other thing I do want to say about the episode, well, not the episode specifically, but uh, about Star Trek in general, is that uh, many years later, they tried to get the actress who played the Romulan commander to to do a guest appearance on The Next Generation, and unfortunately, the actress was not available. Oh, no. Did so, she die? No, no. she was. Oh. Al- she's alive. Oh. I mean, she was at the time. I yeah. don't know if she's still alive now, but I'm not friends with her or anything. I mean, we, we did not go out for a drink last night. But but they she yeah uh, I was like oh that would have been kind of cool to see her come back at some point, um, especially yeah. considering that Vulcans and Romulans are both very long lived yeah so like, and especially because I mean she is an extremely ambitious person you know she says like look getting the Enterprise will be the highlight of my career you know she knows that when she makes that you know if she captures the ship she can have any appointment she wants and i think that's what that's that's i think the best legacy of this episode is the fact that this is the first episode of star trek which presents us with a female commander captain whatever you want to call her and that she's 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 totally in charge yeah and she's obviously not a man but 
it works and it it doesn't comment on the fact that a woman is in charge which i like a lot yeah i mean her the fact that she's a woman is obviously not incidental to this episode but it's 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 not incidental to the episode but, but it's it's, it's incidental to people's view of her and yeah. the, the conception of the, her command and what i think I, and she's no less threatening no yeah. less dangerous no less an enemy for the fact no. that she is a woman Obviously, the episode had to work as she had to be a woman for the the Spock subplot. Yeah, but there's no reason why uh, this character could not have been a man if not for that. I have, to which see, I like. Yeah, and it's, um, it's, and it's also nice on. to see kind of the opposite because we've seen like Rathacon is uh, the 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 space seat is a perfect example of you know the male the Apollo one as well, where the male bad guy seduces a woman on the inside and now. We have that completely uh, flipped. The the woman, the villain is a woman, and she's seducing one of the male members of the crew. It, it can go both ways. Um, People just like fucking in the original series. Can you blame them? I mean, like I said, I, I would not have minded if she were trying to seduce me. She's a very handsome woman. All right. Yeah, and I mean— I, I also don't doubt, I mean, she is going to be on the Enterprise for a few weeks. She's going to learn some secrets while she's on there. You know, that's that's going to happen. She is going to try and sneak in as much intel as she can because, come on. Well, that was the, I mean, that's kind of the funny thing about the end of the episode, you know, is that, you know, we talked about, well, Spock and her are going to have sex, and have a relationship, but she's really like a prisoner of war. So, I mean, logically, no, she's going to be in the brig. Well, um, no, they, they, but I don't. But they, I, well, they specifically say, you know, her quarters, and I under, I, I get the sense it's one of those. I mean, people who are uh, at a certain position when you normally have like a political leader getting arrested, they don't always go to jail; they're house arrest type of thing. I assumed it would be something like that. She will be on guard twenty four seven. Spock will be able to go in and out of his, her you know, quarters as he wishes, you know. That just seems dumb to me. Hey, they want to treat her well. I mean, it's also... Obviously- I mean, it's fine It's fine to treat her well, but I think you don't want to fraternize with her. That just causes issues, I think. Hey, I, I, I never said it was logical for Spock to do that. I just Oh, look that, at that. You know, Spock is not being logical. The half-human side of him has a boner. And let's let's be honest. If Spock really wanted to talk Captain Kirk into letting him, like, go to her quarters, he would be able to do it. I I think I I got the sense that it was kind of understood that that when Kirk says, "All right, take her to your her quarters," he, he's not having red shirts take her. He's not having a security team take her. He's having Spock take her. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. That's I mean, it's understood that they're going to have a pleasant conversation. Starfleet has never been the best military organization, and maybe we can just leave it there. Yeah. Uh, all right, so how many triples would you give this one? This is a seven triple episode. Wow, really? I liked it a lot, like I said. I feel like I need to grade season three episodes on a curve. Okay. Because the, the this is pretty good for the third season, um, but I don't want to, so I'll give it a five. I've, and that's fair. It's it's an okay episode, but, you know, it, 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 there's something something lacking about it for me. And that's fair. That's why I gave it a seven. All right, so next week we're going to talk about the Paradise Syndrome and and the Children Shall Leave. I have to say, I and I know you talk, you don't really like season three, but Spock's brain was stupid, but it was funny, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. This episode, not the best, but 
it was I was invested in it and I thought it was good enough. I actually don't have that I have kind of high hopes for the rest of season three. Like I, I think while it's not as good as season two was, I think I may actually be able to live with it. Remember you said that next week. I will. And we'll see what happens. Okay. All right, we'll see you then.